Welcome to Reconciled Church Miami, Pastor Aldo Leon. Acts 2, verse 43. Then fear came over everyone, and many signs and wonders were being performed through the apostles. Now all the believers were together and had all things in common. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as anyone had a need. Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple complex and broke bread from house to house. So let me backtrack for you. So tongues happens. People like, y'all drunk. And they're like, no, we're not drunk. Actually, this is a sign of the fact that Jesus is ruling and reigning in heaven and he is the Messiah. He's our prophet, priest, and king. So then there's a call for a response. What should we do in light of this, these events? Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. And then we see the church was devoted to three things. The apostles' doctrine, the breaking of bread, and communion. That's two ways of describing the breaking of bread. Communion and breaking of bread. And the prayers. So the question is, what happens to a church that is defined by these three things? What happens when we become obsessed with just being about the gospel preached, Lord's table ate and drank, and praying? What happens? Does nothing happen? Do we just sit around here and say, oh, isn't grace amazing and wonderful, so let's just, que sera, sera, is that what happens? Or, or, or somebody say, you know what? I think that if we focus too much time on these three things, we'll just become unpractical Christians. We can't just sit here every Sunday and hear doctrine about Christ and eat the same table. That's not going to work. we got to reinvent the wheel. What happens to us? We think, I don't know, maybe nothing happens to us. Or another, another question we need to ask is, what does it look like, beloved, to be a church that is believing the gospel? What does it look like? I think in Miami, this is one of the most confusing places to be spiritual. I think you ask people to find spirituality, they would define it in 6,000 different ways. What does it mean to be a gospel-believing church? What does it look like? What does grace produce? Okay? See all these questions hanging in your head? Here's the answer in our text. First thing I want to say about what grace looks like is it looks like, if you are a note taker, it looks like the end of the world as we know it. It looks like the end of the world as we know it. Let me go to Hebrews to convey this before I read the text. So it says that, I normally have my stuff marked. Okay. So it says that, Then fear came over everyone, and many wonders and signs were being performed through the apostles. So when you see in the Bible signs and wonders and great fear, that's the Bible saying, hey, there's something going on here which is kind of showing a turning point in history. So when we see what happens when the gospel is preached, when the table is served, and when the people of God pray, and then then Luke says, then the, there was fear and signs and wonders. What Luke is saying is that what we see now is that the, the earth as we know it, the old creation has ended, and now the new creation of the king is coming into reality. This is what these signs are pointing to. And you say, I don't, I don't, I don't, know, I don't know if I see all that. Let me, let me go to Hebrews where uh, we can see this very clearly. So listen. It says in Hebrews 2, verse 4, 
At that time, God also testified by signs and wonders and various miracles and distributions of gifts from the Holy Spirit according to his will. So what, look what he says in verse 5. For he has not subjected to angels the world to come that we are talking about. So the author of Hebrews is saying, when we see the apostolic signs and wonders, that is God saying that the king has invaded the old creation and is bringing about the new creation. Everything as we know it is over, and now the king's new creation reality is happening. This is what is going on here. So what does the three means of grace do to us? It looks like the end of the world as we know it. So you may think, what does that mean? What is the end of the world and the beginning of the new world look like? You may say, what does it look like? Us never sinning anymore and just being perfect people? Is that what it looks like? Does it look like us being personally just really prosperous? Everything in our lives is going great in Jesus' name. Does it look like our relationships just being wonderful and no problems and tension? Is that what the new creation world looks like? Or does it look like a bunch of buildings with a bunch of people and a bunch of hype and a bunch of numbers? Or does it look like endless exorcisms and, and whatnot stuff? What does the new creation look like? What is this inbreaking of the gospel kingdom of God that is ruling and reigning in the church? What does it look like? You ready? I'm going to be very unimpressive. Here's the first thing that it looks like. It looks like lowness being the power to all. Lowness, lowness being the power to all. Look at it says in verse 44. Now all the believers were together and they held all things in common. In the Greek, together means all the, they were the same. They were the same. So these people saw themselves as the same, which gave them this lowness and closeness together. Let me give you a picture that might be helpful. Dave used this last time, but I can use it again, right? Where's he at? Oh, he's on kid duty. He said, you know what's interesting about A? Everyone in A is so close to each other. And they kind of have this connection. You know why? Because they're all the same. Everyone in A is what? A needy person with other needy people that can't figure out their lives. So them being similar and having the same problem leads to them being close. <laughs> so, beloved, all of us, in a sense, are the same. We're all, we're, all, we're all beggars who are regularly devoted to the grace of God in the apostles' teaching. We're regularly beggars who are devoted to receiving the kindness of God's grace in the table. We're regularly beggars praying to God and asking him to do things that we could not do. And so since we're all lacking equally and we're all sufficiently provided for equally only by Christ, it makes us the same, it makes us alike, and therefore it brings us together. This is what happens when you're readily devoted to the apostles' teaching. So listen, all this stuff that I'm higher than you and lower than you because of my political distinctions, it's not what the gospel means of grace does to a church. All this, I'm higher than you because of my race or my ethnicity or, man, I'm in a different economic bracket. I don't, I don't live in Homestead. I live in Brickle. All that stuff does not, does, not, does not penetrate and define the church when we're devoted to the means of grace, which say we're all beggars. All the things that divide us based upon, you know, you know what? 
you got those sins, but I got these sins. So I can, I can create a little space, right? No, beloved, we are, the power of God's grace makes us all in some sense the same. And because it makes us all in some sense the same needy kids being provided to by God, it unites us and creates this sameness. So listen, there's no us and them in the church. There's us and God. There's no us and them in the church. There's us and God. And so listen, beloved, all this obsession, particularly in Miami, with people wanting to make themselves higher than others and more distinct than others, it's not what the grace of God does to a people. The grace of God makes us the same in our distinctions. So what does the end of the world look like? All of us have a sameness that leads to oneness, that leads to unity. Not that impressive, but this is what God is impressively doing for his own fame. Here's the second thing we see in the end of the world, what it looks like. It means family is supreme. Family is supreme. Look at verse 44. It says, they were together and they held all things in common. So basically what's being described here is a family. This is a description of a family. It sounds like a family. Beloved, God's grace did not just give you forgiveness and give you a place to go to heaven someday. God's grace adopted you and gave you your father's name and DNA. It has made you a child. And guess what? When any of us get adopted, all of us get brought into this family. Same thing. Y'all who adopt kids, what happens when you adopt another kid and you bring him into your family? It becomes a part of your family. He becomes a part of your family. And remember, we were talking about the means of grace, right? The means of grace say Christ was crucified for you. You see it, you hear it, you taste it, and you pray on it, which means that God didn't adopt any of us because we were cute adoptive kids, okay? You know how we adopt kids in, in our world? We go look for the youngest, the cutest, the cuddliest, the not-so-nastiest one to adopt, right? But the church is a place where God has adopted the nastiest misfits and made him his kids. Not the cute ones. And so if God has adopted us, beloved, we're not just friends being polite to each other. We, friends who are polite and the first sign of problems, we run away and go somewhere else. We are family all up in our drama together. We are not co-workers loosely affiliated and being in a Jesus club, beloved. We are those who know each other deeply, love each other truthfully, and are in it together. This is what is grace is doing, beloved. We are those who know each other, are with each other, in the midst of all of our unflattering garbage. Beloved, the new world coming in by the grace of God does not look like a New Year's party. Everyone looks nice, right? It's not a gala event. It's not, you know, a trip to Disneyland. You know what the new creation world looks like? It looks like a living room. Socks over there. People in their pajamas over there. No makeup on. You know? Hair all crazy. Foods, plates of food. 
It's this natural, normal, real, relational, transparent closeness that is consistent of being a gospel family adopted by the grace of God. We are a family, beloved. That's what grace looks like. That's what the new creation looks like. So it means that family is supreme. Third thing we see here that the grace of the gospel does in bringing this new creation, it means we have freedom from things, not for things as a culture. Let me say it again. Freedom from things, not freedom for things as a culture. It says, now all the believers were together, and they held all things in common. They were together and had all things in common. So what, 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 what are the believers regularly hearing? They're regularly hearing that they've been secured by Christ's life, death, and resurrection. They're regularly seeing that, and they're regularly praying to God. So what's happening is that people realize that my security is not in what I own. My security is that I'm owned by Christ. I've been bought by Christ by his works. My security is not in what I possess in myself, but in the possessions that I have that are the, the, the fruits of the triumph of Christ. I have eternal life. I have the presence of God. I have forgiveness. I have everything in Christ. So therefore, I don't need things like I used to. It looks like I now have a status that's not like Miami people's status. Look at me. Look at my whip and look at my area code. No, I have a status that comes from the righteousness of Christ being credited to me by his glorious work. We have Christ himself as the treasure. So what happens when bills and possessions no longer are your savior? Jesus is your savior. He's your rescuer. Guess what? I am free to use my stuff for the glory of God and not use my things as many bobblehead saviors that can do nothing for me. So we see Christ, beloved. And so as we see Christ, we see our stuff differently. And as we see our stuff differently through seeing Christ, we then see people as opportunities for us to love them with the grace of God that has freed us. Beloved, listen, listen. The God of Miami to be defined by your possessions and what you have is a puny, fake God who does not deliver. Does nothing for you. It just makes you perpetually chasing that endless God who demands everything from you. But we, beloved, have been saved by the one true God so we can see freedom from things, not freedom for things. Beloved, this is why prosperity theology is an abomination. The gospel frees us, beloved, to see everything that we need in Christ. And we're trying to tell people that the glory of the gospel is that he gives you a bunch of stuff that rots. But the church is saying, man, we have the gold of redemption. We have the preciousness of Christ. We don't need stuff so we can act like we're free from stuff. Not free for things. All right, I got way too intense there. Let me slow down before I lose my breath and I can't preach the second service. All right. So what does the end of the world look like? Freedom from things, not for things, is the culture. 
Fourthly, it means our morality is very personal. It means our morality is very personal. Notice something about what they were doing. They were together and held all things in common, and they sold their proceeds as anyone had need. Their morality, beloved, was all about people. You know how I think we think of our morality? This is how I think we see morality in our context. I don't smoke, I don't drink, and I didn't vote for Hillary. Or you didn't vote for Trump, maybe the other person. And we see morality as primarily being a good, self-contained individual. Okay? So, so I'm not, you know, individually so, and you know, I, I read devotions and, you know, I'm in the word. And I don't believe that wacky theology, you know, down the street, I'm good, right? Or, you know, I meet a lot of people in Miami, they say, you know what? My spirituality is me going in the closet and speaking in unspoken language by myself. That's my spirituality. It's all about this self-contained thing. But look, but you know what Peter is saying? Luke is saying that when the gospel touches a soul, when the gospel saves a life, it brings us to see that Jesus died for people, beloved. Who did Jesus die for? He died for last names, for souls, for bodies. So if he died for people, that means that in the heart of God, in the economy of God, his greatest priority is people. So I see, beloved, my spirituality to be not so much about being a good individual by myself, but being a lover lover of people. Spirituality is me seeing people that God have his image and have been redeemed by God's grace as valuable and employing my life to be about people, not just about some private, independent, island spirituality that has nothing to do with people. But I know so many people that are so impressed with their private spirituality and don't care a whip about anybody else. And you know what? I've lived there many times. Oh, man, I'm so godly. Look at me with my Calvin Institutes. Yeah. But, beloved, the grace of the gospel, when it truly touches a church and encounters the grace of God that has purchased souls, man, it makes me inclined to be about people in my spirituality, not just self-contained, me, moral islands. Beloved, you know what happened in the Reformation? That fancy term that we throw around here a lot. The Roman Catholic Church was all about you need to please God by your works in order to finalize your salvation. And you know what happens? To, you know what happens to people when they need to please God to be saved? They're always doing that. I'm always doing something for God to make Him happy because if I don't make Him happy enough, I ain't gonna make it well. But the reformer said, God does not need your good works. Christ provided all the legal works that God is owed. He fulfilled the law of God perfectly. He died for all of our law breaking, finally, was resurrected, went to heaven, and now all the works that God needs have been given to you, to him, by Christ. So if, my, if God doesn't need my good works, who does? My neighbor. My neighbor does. So I I got the divine relationship right, 
Now I can see people as a cause of my focus, the focus of my morality. As opposed to just always getting lost in this make God happy who's unhappy and totally forget about people. So, it looks like, beloved, our morality becoming very personal. He has two more things to say. I broke this up in two messages because I thought it was better to do so. So what does the end of the world look like? What does being devoted to the means of grace look like? It looks like living for needs, not preferences. Looking, living for needs, not preferences. They sold their possessions and property, and they distributed the proceeds to all as anyone had a need. So check this out. They was like, man, we don't got money. We do have property. So if we sell our property, we can actually meet needs. Now, if you can meet needs without selling your property, then you don't need to sell your property. You understand? They're saying, I don't have any money to, to help anybody. So what do I have? I have property. So they sold it. But listen, notice that they, that they did this to meet needs. Now, let me tell you something about how it was like for Rebecca to be married to me. She's not here. She's, she's with the babies. Um, so when, when, when I first married Rebecca... I wanted to love her in the way that suited me, okay? So I would come home, and, uh, you know, my wife is exhausted, and I'd be like, I want to I wanna do, a, like, a, like, an hour-long Bible study with you. And she's, I've been running around with these chimpanzees known as your kids all day, okay? I don't want a Bible. I want, can you help me clean up, you know? Oh, but I want to love her the way I wanted to love her. And I want to take her to the movies. She doesn't like the movies, but I like the movies, Okay, so I want to love her not in according to her needs, but according to my wants. But beloved, the gospel is Jesus meeting our needs. You need forgiveness; the gospel gives you forgiveness. You need eternal life; the gospel gives you eternal life. You need justification, a status of righteousness; the gospel gives you justification. You need to be. Broken of the power of sin to dominate you, the gospel provides that. So, beloved, if the gospel meets our actual needs, then how do we interact with each other? By meeting needs. So you want to love people in a certain way, but you know what? People need you to be a friend to them. That's what they need. You want to love people in a certain way, but you know what people need? They need, they need you to help them with their exhaustion of their kids. They need a night off. You want to love people a certain way, but actually people need you to help them with their financial difficulties at times. You want to love people in a way that doesn't bother you, inconvenience you, you know, but actually maybe they need you to be with them, listen to them, talk to them, value them. That's what they need. You want to do this, but maybe someone, you know what they need? They need to, they need to be at your table. Sitting across from you and being treated like a human made in the image of God who has value. Not just someone you do, hey, brother, it's so great that we were in Bible study. Maybe they need that, beloved. So grace, beloved, empowers us to see our needs being met so that we can practically look at our brothers and say, what do you need, not what do I want to do for you? Make sense? It looks like us. You know, here's, here's, here's something that's interesting. I think a lot, you know, you know, you know why we can't think about other people's needs a lot? Because we're trying to meet our own needs in the wrong way. 
And so it's because you're, you, I, can't, I can't worry about your needs. I got, I got my own problems, right? Can you relate to what I'm saying? And you know why you're always a needy person who always can't fix your needs? Because you're always trying to fix your needs by the humanistic ways. And so because you're always looking for some self, self-sustained, independent way of meeting your needs, and you're not letting God meet your needs, the affection you need from God, the presence of God, the promise, you're not going to God to meet your needs. You're always needy, and you can't see needs. But, beloved... If I am letting Christ, the perfect husband, head, ruler of the galaxy, who gives me all things in the spirit of God, I have my needs met, and I'm not on this endless need chase that I can never fulfill, and I can look at you and be like, what you need? But we can never have a view of people's needs that are important if we're always trying to meet our own needs in the wrong way. Make sense? Listen, if your kids are the way you're going to feel like you matter, you're going to suck the life out of your kids and not be able to see anybody outside of your family. But if Christ, the Son of God, his performance, his affection, his identity, who he is, becomes the place that really gives me security, I don't have to suck the life out of my kids and see nobody else. I can see needs around. Make sense? So we need to... The new creation, the gospel coming means we live for needs, not preferences. So here's my last point. My last point. It means that we live sacrificially, not pragmatically. We live sacrificially, not pragmatically. They sold their possessions and property and distributed the proceeds to all as anyone had a need. So check it out. (laughs) They were like, oh, I can't, I know you're really in need, widow. I know you're really in need, brother. All of us have been kicked out of our social circles, our religious circles. That's what happened to, 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 to identify with Christ in this era was to be cast out socially, economically, religiously. You know what? I don't have stuff, but let me, let me bring it down to our cons. I'll sell my car so I can, ha- I can help you, brother. So what they, had, what, what, the, what they had was they had property. So they sold their property in order to be sacrificial. So it wasn't like, I got no money. Peace out. It was like, I'm going to do something that is costly, sacrificial, in order to love you. But if people are regularly hearing about the grace of Christ proclaimed, they're regularly seeing it demonstrated in the table, you're regularly putting on your mouth that Jesus Christ was broken for sinners, isn't that a very inconvenient gospel that we're always around? The Son of God experience the limitations of humanity in order to be our rescue. And you know what? You know where he was born? He had no place to be born. It wasn't like, all right, I'll come to earth, but you better put me in the Hyatt. No, put me in the barnyard cave. Inconvenient. At least let me live 33 years with, you know, royalty, rednecks from Nazareth. At least can I be popular, the son of God who knew nothing except celestial worship all the time was ignored, abandoned, mocked, and chased around like a fool. Not only that, not only that, he 
was homeless. The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. <laughs> you realize that Jesus had to live off women's salaries? You're the king. Shouldn't you be kind of like in a mobile kind of like, I don't know, mobile home or something, you know? The equivalent of that, right? Some, some, some tent, some moving tent or something. And then, beloved, just consider what happened on the cross. Yes, he was tortured. Yes, he was abused. Yes, he was ripped and mangled and paraded around the streets naked like a condemned criminal on the top of a garbage heap. Yes, but he endured the wrath of God forever and ever and ever on his body in three hours. The Son of God, who is a source of life, died eternal death. Beloved, that is utterly inconvenience. And so what happens to us when we encounter a regular display of sacrificial inconvenience? I can be inconvenienced. Correct? I can be inconvenienced. I could help you in a way that doesn't meet my schedule and my needs and my preferences. And I can give things to you that doesn't make me not hurt a little bit. You know, just check off the box. Of, I can give in a way that hurts. I can support the kingdom of God in a way that hurts. I can give you time in a way that hurts. I can live sacrificially because I'm living in the reality and this environment of a radical sacrifice. But you know what the problem is? If I'm honest. We have a convenient Savior that gave us a convenient gospel, and we have, we're just a bunch of convenient, nice people. And because it's a convenient Savior and a convenient gospel, and we're so much nice people, when we, talk, when we hear God talk about sacrifice, it seems unreasonable. How could you ask me to sacrifice? I'm a good person. You know, I'm not, I'm not out on the streets you know, robbing people. I'm a good person. But, beloved, the gospel is utterly radical. You are awful and terrible and worthy of the wrath of God. And yet Jesus, no motivation from you at all, offers his life for you for nothing in you at all, experiences an eternity of wrath with nothing you will contribute at all, and gives you grace. Just by trusting what he did. Beloved, we are not good people who need to always rationalize why we shouldn't make sacrifices. We are utterly wretched people that have been redeemed by this radical grace that just makes us see sacrifice different, correct? And I think the reason why we can't get there is because we're too good. We think Jesus paid for like a, you know, we think Jesus kind of paid a, he paid a DUI ticket. Not death penalty stuff. So, all right. Let me give some more application. Just, just, let me conclude with some application, and we'll go to the table. We're going to give you guys some, 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 some comfort as you feel like the, you know, little bit of the, little bit of the wounds, okay? But listen, let me give some application first. Beloved, if, 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 if the church believing the gospel looks like the end of the world as we know it, beloved, it means that we should stop trying to make Jesus fit into our old world. 
Some of you, some, I say all of us in some sense, but some of, some of us maybe more than others. You're trying to have relationships in a way that manifests the old world. You're trying to parent in a way that manifests the old world. You're trying to see time, money, and, and your home in a way that represents the old world. You're trying to deal with problems and deal with all your life in a way that, 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 that kind of tries to incorporate the old world with the new. But beloved, the gospel comes. Your world is over. It's over. And you know what? The more you're trying to live between two worlds, the more miserable you're going to be. Just, just, just commit to where you are, beloved. And stop trying to drag the old you along with the new you. No, the gospel means your life is over and the new kingdom of God has broken in. So stop it. <laughs> stop doing this. You know what? It's pulling you apart. We have to commit to the reality that this is a total new world. Beloved, the gospel is like having kids. What happens when you have kids? Your life is over. Forget everything as you knew it. Your total life now is absorbed and controlled by those little DNA replicas of you. Nothing can, you know, and y'all miserable because some of y'all want to be non-kid parents with kids. And you try to fight that all the time. It's over. It's over, y'all. You're never going to be those, let's go out, honey, to coffee. Yeah. You want to go to coffee? You want to go to, you know, dinner later? Yeah. Go to, that's over. Right? Well, in many much ways, much more profound ways, the gospel has ended your life and given you something much better, not something just to endure. Beloved, if, 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 if the key to the new creation is that lowness, sameness leads to lowness, we need to be people that are seeking to find connections with each other, not distinctions. So you know, you know what we do as people? You know what? You a homeschooler. I'm not. Distinction. Or I'm not one of those weird homeschoolers. I'm a public schooler or private schooler. Distinction, right? You know what? I'm Cuban. You're not Cuban. You know, you're one of those Nicaraguan, Central Americans, uh, uh, you know, distance. You know, you, you live over there. I live over here. Distinction. Right? You know, I feel like we make distinction about the most ridiculous things. You know, you believe this about the economy, and I believe this about the economy. Distinction. Right? But what... Luke is saying is that, beloved, we should be seeking to not create distinctions amongst ourselves. We should be trying to find common ground. And the common ground is what? All of us in here absolutely need Christ for everything, and you absolutely have nothing in yourself by yourself. Connection, 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 connection. I think we're masters at making disconnections. And look, we are a Reformed church. We are a Presbyterian church. And we can do that even with people that don't have those views that come in here. Oh, are you a Calvinist like me? Distinction. Now, I'm not saying that we don't have these convictions, right? What am I saying? I'm saying if they're a Christian, I don't care where the theology is, there is a connection. And Miami people should feel most loved by a Reformed church. Not we're the holy circle of doctrinal elites. We have convictions. We bold on apologetic, but we see connection with the body of Christ. As opposed to always having these reasons to make distinction amongst another. Makes sense. I'm not saying kumbaya theology doesn't matter. I'm saying 
we find the common ground that every Christian has in the church. Oh, you single. You're one of those single people. You're not married with kids. Distinction. No, no, no. Connect, connection. All right. If we're a family above all, beloved, we should be people that are just really honest, transparent, and real with each other. Beloved, this is not, this is not the, the church. We're in the seminal theater. The church is not the seminal theater. What is the seminal theater? You come over here and put on costumes and you look really great and you play on a face, right? That's not us. We are a family, which means we know each other, we're close to each other, and all that nastiness is something that we deal with in honesty and transparency as a family. You say, no costume party, pretend party. We should be honest, transparent, and close. Beloved, if we are free from things, not for things, we should, beloved, we should see our stuff as having opportunities to love people. You know why I have a house? So I can love people. Do you know why I have a car? So I can love people. Do you know why I have salary? So I can love people. Do you know why I have a zip code? Do you know why I have a backyard? Do you know why I have a pool? So I can love people. Beloved, God has given you the awesome privilege to be saved from the Miami insanity of being enslaved to your stuff so that now we can say, man, I have an inheritance, I have a righteousness, I have a savior, I have a glory that frees me to not love stuff but love people with my stuff. We should be using our things, beloved. I'm not talking, look, look. I'm not talking about selling your house so you can give things, okay? That's, that, this is a very unique circle. I'm talking about seeing your things and using them for the well-being of other people. Do you know why Old Cutler, they're, 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 this is, you know, not script, you know, I didn't think about it. You know why old, there's, a, there's a bunch of people from Old Cutler here? Because they support a church that's not their church. And they think, instead of using every single penny to make old color awesome, maybe God has given us a capacity to see others and use our stuff to love people, namely a local church. Beloved, this is compelling stuff. As opposed to the boredom and nausea of just always hoarding everything for yourself. Beloved, that's boring. Admit it. Your life is boring. You're bored. You're bored. That's why you're always looking for the next thing, and you're still bored. Because God wired you, beloved, to live for something much bigger than hoarding things for you. Much bigger. Much bigger. Beloved, if our morality is personal, we should see our morality as less about how moral we see ourselves and more about how valuable people are to us. Let me give you a practical example of this. So so you can can see um, not saying swear words in one of two ways. I don't cuss, I'm righteous. Okay, fair enough. Or you can say, you know what? I don't use my words to be profane, but I use my words to love people. I use my words to build up people. I use my words to love on people. You see the difference? Oh, I'm righteous. I don't cuss. I'm not a cussing person. You a cussing person. No, no. It's about seeing morality as being utterly person-focused. Use my words to love you, not just see it as avoiding something. It's not, I don't go to the nightclub. 
I'm a righteous person, right? No, I, I don't go to a nightclub, but I, I, I spend time with people in their homes and love them. See, you see the difference? You're supposed to rocking around with this isolated, you know, vague morality. It's not person-focused. So I'll say two more things, beloved. If, we, if our morality is about needs, not preferences, we should, but this, is, this is overly simple. We should just be asking people in this church, what do you need? What do you need? Like, like people in kids' ministry, what do you need? People that are single, what do you need? It's unique to your singleness. Ladies that are older, we have, we have, we have families here that are older, what do you need? We have families that have kids, what do you need? We should be asking each other, not what do I want to do, but what do you need? Last thing, beloved. If the new kingdom reality of the gospel frees us to live sacrificially, not pragmatically, beloved, we should have a real, honest, available space for doing things in a way that is costly to us. We should have a real space for doing things in a way that's costly to us. And we should stop trying to make Christianity not be costly. Beloved, it's costly. Do you know why we're here in Homestead? Why are we here in Homestead? Why are we here where people don't got money like other places? Why are we here struggling and at a lot of costs and and repercussions doing this? Because Christianity is wonderfully costly. We're not here trying to be comfortably religious. How radical can we be for Jesus while we're radically selfish and uncostly? Beloved, that's boring. You don't need Jesus for that. You don't need Jesus for that kind of Christianity that's utterly costly. You can do that by yourself all day long. But man, what's wonderful is that God calls us to a costly, inconvenient Christianity which makes Jesus utterly necessary and utterly awesome. Because this sounds great, right? But you know what? We can't do this ever. Never. Jesus, by the power of his death and resurrection and the spirit of God, us trusting him and his life infused through us, we can. But this kind of stuff, you can't do this. Uh-uh. Uh-uh. This is too, this is too not Christian. This is too uh, complicated for me to live out. So, beloved, my original question, what, what does being devoted to the apostles' doctrine, the table, and the prayers look like? It looks at the end of the world, which looks like this. And we get to be a part of this right now, today. So let me pray, and we'll do part two next Sunday. Father, thank you so much. Thank you so much that you call us to be devoted to the grace of God in Christ and the means of grace. And you know what that does? That becomes the driving force, the power, the energy, the movement that does everything in our Christian life. So we see all this stuff about being the same and being sacrificial and meeting needs. We see all this as consequences, causes, or consequential things that happen as we get devoted to just trusting you over and over again. So, Father, I pray that your precious children would see all this unnatural Christianity to be a cause to just be more devoted to the grace of God, which makes us supernaturally livers of life and not become burdened with the reality that this is not something that we can do, Lord. We know we can't. We know we have to always see this as a byproduct of faith. In Jesus' name, amen.
That concludes our message, and we hope that you were inspired by it. If you'd like to hear more about the gospel or find out more about Reconciled Church Miami, please connect with us using one of the ways listed on our website, reconcilechurchmiami.org.